You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Today's episode of Uncorking a Story is brought to you by Isagenics. If you're looking to make a change in your health or in the health of somebody you care for, consider the Isagenics line of nutritional products. From bars and shakes to supplements, you will never have to sacrifice convenience and taste for health. Learn more at bethechange.isagenics.com. Let's listen to this. What a sip before we begin. Oh, that's delicious. This is a fabulous idea. I like citrusy. Ooh, and crisp. Drinking Sauvignon Blanc while uh, chatting with the folk. What could be better? <laughs> everybody and welcome to Uncorking a Story. My name is Mike Carlin and I want to thank all of you who provided feedback on my interview with Shelly Zalas. It was the most downloaded version of Uncorking a Story to date and I'm not surprised. Shelly is a very passionate person with a very inspiring story to tell. If you've not done so already, I encourage you to listen to that interview. Now on the show I try to find people to interview who I believe have very powerful stories to tell. And today I sit down with a Catholic nun named Dorothy Collins. Sister Dorothy was my fourth grade teacher back in 1983, and she's a person who had a very profound impact on my life. Now, 30 years ago, I was entering the fourth grade at a new school. My family had just moved from Florida to Connecticut, and I went into St. Cecilia School in Stanford without knowing a soul. I was introverted at the time, which, if you know me now, is kind of hard to believe, and I was very nervous. And that nervousness turned to pure fear when I found out that my teacher was, in fact, a nun. And I say that because my prior experiences with nuns wasn't so good. My first grade, uh, my first grade teacher was Sister Peter Marie. And uh, I, I will place an emphasis on the Peter part of her name. She reminded me of Joe Pesci's character of Tommy DeVito in Goodfellas, only that DeVito was nicer. However, uh, when I stepped into Sister Dorothy's classroom, I was pleasantly surprised not to find somebody wielding a baseball bat, uh, but I found a nun with a very big smile and an even bigger heart. So if we fast forward 30 years, uh, my three kids uh, now go to the same school I went to back in, uh, in the 80s. And uh, last year, Sister Dorothy came back to that school and was in attendance uh, at an event that I was also at. And all of a sudden, when I saw her, I was flooded with emotion because I remembered how kind she was to me at a time in my life when I wasn't very outgoing and I wasn't very confident. And uh, at the time, I asked if I could interview her for this podcast, and she accepted on the condition that I help her serve meals at the soup kitchen where she volunteers during the week. So uh, cut to this morning and uh, before uh, another meeting that I had in New York. I went down to uh, her soup kitchen, which is located in uh, in Lower Manhattan, and uh, together we served. Um, actually, together, I mean, we had a, a, a team of fifty other volunteers with us, but we served nearly uh, twelve hundred homeless people uh, in New York a hot meal, and that alone was a very powerful experience for me. It's one that I'm not going to forget anytime soon, um, and I will write more about that on uh, on the Uncorking a Story blog. 
But after we uh, we served those people, we sat down in the common room of our convent and had the interview that you are about to hear. Now, the one thing I can tell you uh, is that if you have a picture in your mind of what a Catholic nun is, you may find that it's going to be altered after listening to this interview. You know, for example, have you ever wondered what brings somebody to take vows of obedience, chastity, and poverty? Or do you ever wonder what political party a nun might associate herself with? And what about a nun's willingness to get arrested in the name of civil disobedience? I promise you that if you stick with this interview, uh, all of those questions and more will be answered. So I'm going to stop yip-yapping, and uh, without further delay, I'm going to offer you my interview with Sister Dorothy Collins. So uh, today, episode of our show, the show is called Uncorking a Story. Oh, cool. So we're going to uncork your story. Um, sitting here on West 25th Street. St. Columba Convent. St. Columba Convent. My guest is uh, Sister Dorothy Collins. So how long have I known you for? Uh, well, I met you in 1983. So you do the math. Did I teach you math? <laughs> you probably did. That's probably why I'm not <laughs> no, so I good didn't. at math. No, I didn't. No, you know who... Daria taught you math, so That's can't right. blame me. <laughs> so uh, I think you have an interesting story, um, which is why I've asked to speak with you. Uh, before we, we kind of dig into your background, which mm -hmm. I'm interested in, mm -hmm. what did we just come from? Where did we just come from? Uh, a soup kitchen in the neighborhood that has been uh, in the neighborhood for over 30 years. And we provide food, and in some of the places, some of the parts of the building, they had, uh, they could get uh, clothes, they could pick up clothes, they could get information on how to do different things that they needed to do. They can, they could be uh, told that's a good place to go, or this is a better place, or this doctor, you could see this doctor for that problem, and so on. And so, who who funds that? I mean, we we served a lot of food today. Yeah, we had a lot today. Normally, it's about 1200 They have people who uh, donate food um, regularly, like the, uh, the New York City community group. Uh, they send a lot of things. Now, today, I noticed there was a lot of oranges and, and, and plums, and a lot of the things are donated. The bread, when they first come in, they pick up a tray, and then they go over to where the bread is, and they can pick up whatever they want rolls or bagels or any kind of bread and that's what they do and you what, what do you call what do you call the people who come uh guests why guests and not something else it's a little more re it has a little more respect than just saying we're we're feeding the homeless they're guests in our house so we feed them as 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 if they were a guest and they are and there's a couple things i noticed there were a lot of a lot of diversity within that guest population. Oh, yeah. You know, it's yeah. not any one type no, of, no. of person. Mostly men. Exactly. Mostly men, but not any one type of, of person. There are occasional occasional women who come, and even occasional kids come with their father or their mother. Not too many children, though, come. And then the, the volunteers, it's a very well-oiled machine. Yeah. Over there, the volunteers seem to come from all over they as do. well. They do. They come from this one woman who comes on Friday from Connecticut. She comes from Meriden, and she's there every Friday. Every, well, that I pointed out one gentleman, his name is Mohammed, and he comes from Staten Island every day. Now, that is a trek. He takes the bus at in, near his house to the ferry, and then he gets on the ferry, and then he gets on the train from downtown Manhattan and comes over every single day he comes he's from Egypt and when they were having trouble in Egypt a couple of years ago he went over to see his family over there but he's a very very nice fellow he used to scare me when I first went he'd say hurry up hurry up and I, I'm slow doing anything he said hurry up hurry up and I said I'm coming I'm going I'm normally slow as I said but he's a grand man lovely man so, quick confession to make. Uh, in 1983, I moved to Stanford from Florida. We entered St. Cecilia's School. I say we have twin brother, Jimmy. 
Jimmy and I enter. Um, didn't know anybody at the time. So we moved up in the summer, start yeah. school almost immediately, didn't have a lot of friends. I was scared to death oh. to start a new place. And I found out that Sister Dorothy was going to be my teacher. I was scared more because of that, because in first grade, I had a nun. Her name was Sister Peter Marie. I'll never forget her. She looked like Joe Pesci. Oh, oh God. You ever see Goodfellas? Yes, yes, yes. All right, yes. so Joe Pesci's character was Tommy DeVito. Oh, God. Uh, Sister Dorothy made him look like a nice guy. Oh, That's Sister Dorothy. Sister Peter Marie. Oh, yeah. Made him look like a nice guy. So I, that was my frame of reference. Oh, And I could yeah, never do anything, yeah. could never do anything right. Oh. And my mother had to go have a talk with the principal. Mm-hmm. And everything was set straight after that. So I was scared to death. Oh, Lord. But then... Uh, within five minutes of meeting you, mm. it was a completely different experience. Oh, great. So my my whole worldview of nuns changed since then. Thank God. <laughs> to tell me your story. So we were talking briefly on the way over here. Um, how, how did you become? This is going to sound like a silly question. How did you become a nun? What was the what was the the, the spark or the impetus for you to well, to I join th- a, a sisterhood? I think when I was a youngster, a long, young child. Uh, I had some lovely teachers. Some, I had Mercies, and then I had Sisters of St. Joseph, and then I had the Charities. And I liked, for the most part, what they did and how they they got to kids. And I was not a good student. I didn't like school. I, especially when I was in high school, I had no, no desire to learn too much. What was your interest? Did you have other interests back then? Well, I was in high school as boys. Actually, <laughs> that is the truth. But uh, and what, what year? What year we talk? What years were you in high school? Uh, Fifty-three to 50, fifty-six. Fifty-two oh, so to fifty-six. Kind of post-World War II era. Yeah. yeah. Very somewhat prosperous time in yeah. America. Mm-hmm. What was your household like? What was your? Well, as I mentioned before, when I was little, I I was six years younger than uh, another daughter. Uh, her name was Elizabeth Regina. We called her Betty Jean. And uh, <clears throat> she was always sickly. She had she was a really sick child. And she had dark hair where I had platinum blonde hair. And um, she was always the good one. Oh, I, I wasn't so terrible, but I remember I remember her going to my mother one time as, why does Dorothy have to follow me all over the place? Why does she have to come with me? And my mother said, just be patient with her. And she was. She was very kind to me. I remember that. And I'm going to go ahead now, a lot of years. When my mother was in a nursing home, uh, she was really suffering at the end. And so I went over to the nursing home one evening, and she was just suffering. So I remember just sitting there watching my mother, and I, I prayed to my sister. I said, Betty, come and get Mommy, because this this is really bad news. She's really suffering. There's no no life that's a happy life here, so come and get her. Well... I left, I was there maybe the early evening, and I stayed all night and uh, in a room, and um, she knew me, she knew me, but uh, she was a little senile, but she was, anyway, she knew me, and by six o'clock in the morning, one of the women came in and said, sister, I'm going, I'm leaving, I'm going off, my job is finished now, I'll take you over to Notre Dame if you want, uh, so that you can get some rest, because I was... A little tired. So I went over to my mother. I said, Mom, I'm going over. I'm going home for a couple hours, and I'll be back. And previously I said, Betty, come and get Mommy. So I went went to bed, slept, and the door, the phone rang, and my mother passed at 10.30 in the morning. So I, I wasn't there, but I know it was Betty who came for her. I know it. You know it. I've always had this connection with what? No, 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 I want you to finish that thought. You've always had this connection with what? With my sister and my father after he died, too. Very, th- When they died, they were still very alive with my mother and me. So your sister um, died when you were four years old. Mm. And you've explain to me, what, what, what kind of, you said your father died. What kind, of, what kind of connection, how do you describe that connection? I just know they're they're in heaven, and I um, I'm just very, very very close to them in many many ways. And when my mother passed, another. If I'm having a difficulty in when I was still working, I would just say, "Ma," 
and I know she was in heaven and I said get me out of this help me and I always I've always been connected with my dead family I, I just always have been so tell me um kind of rewinding a bit now okay I'm sorry uh, no, no no please okay uh you're 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 a young gal you're into boys in high school mm-hmm. um but I am talking to a sister, right? Mm-hmm. So how? Did, so t- tell me about that that journey. Um, I guess I I went with when I went to boarding school up in, in Yonkers. Some of the girls had brothers, and uh, we would have we always had dances and and parties and things like this. We'd have to ask a boy to come to the dance, and uh, so I would get one of the girls who had a brother, and I'd say, "Can." Well, one, I'm just thinking of Joey O'Brien, and that's a, the brother of one of the, the kids in my class. And there were all kinds of boys who were up in that. They went to Manhattan Prep. They went to Iona Prep. They went to Fordham Prep. And uh, so I was all, always, I'd always got, get in, in, you know, connected with these kids. And I, I just enjoyed But behind all these, these great times with the boys, uh, actually the last boy I went out with, his name was John Rossi. I'd graduated from grammar school with him. And uh, he came to my senior prom. But um, I never told him I was entering uh, because I, I was afraid he'd say, don't go. And maybe I wouldn't have gone if he said, don't go. I don't know. But I, I went anyway. So um, as a matter of fact, when I he called when I entered in 57, he called my house. And he said to my mother, can I speak to Dorothy? And she said, what do you mean, Dorothy? Don't you know where she is? No, she isn't she home now? No, she entered the convent. Well, he was a little surprised. Well, it was funny. He he wrote a letter, and I didn't know you were doing this, and blah blah blah. It was really fun, but uh, I didn't. He didn't suffer from my entering for sure, but he did marry a girl, and they had a daughter named Dorothy, and he said he named to me. <laughs> So, so when when did you when did it click? When did you start investigating? When at did you camp? When I was at camp, and and um, the girls from Notre Dame Academy would talk about Mother Saint this and Mother Saint that. And um, the year before I entered, I said to one of the girls, I said, I'm going to ask this. I'm going to go into the Sisters of Charity. I'm going to ask them. But I was such a bad student. I mean, I failed. I I didn't even get my Regents diploma. I did so poorly. I wasn't interested. So um, I said, no, you know what? I said to this one girl, I think I'm going to ask the charities and go in with them. But I was afraid to ask them because I was afraid they'd say, well, we want people who work hard and and have good marks. We're not going to. When I told my teacher years later about that, she said, well, you could have come with us. Don't even worry about it. This was a teacher I had in high school when I told her that. She said, no, it wouldn't have made any difference. But so I remember then, when I came and the kid said to me, I thought you were going to enter the convent this year. I said, no, I changed my mind. And then she talked about Mother Saint so-and-so in Staten Island. I said, I'll join you, your people. The boldness of me. The, who do you think you are? You just say, oh, yeah, you decided no charities and you're going to go this note today. And that's just how it worked out. I went to see the CNDs on the Feast of Marguerite Bourgeois. In 1957. And Marguerite Bourgeois, for those who don't know, uh, was? The founders of our congregation. And um, actually, it was Mother St. Vivian, who was your mother. Your mother knew uh, Mother St. Vivian. Uh, She said, I want you to come out and meet the rest of the nuns. So I went in January. And I had this lovely black watch plaid skirt vest and jacket and I I had a nice polo coat I don't know whether I had anything on my head but I remember I had gloves because when you went out you always had hat and gloves and uh, so I get to Staten Island took the ferry and went I was going to stay in where the boarders stayed and uh, one of my friends from camp was a boarder so I was going to stay in her room and um, when I got there here I think I'm hot stuff with my lovely plaid outfit. The girls at Notre Dame had that as a uniform. <laughs> so I said, oh, you're so smart. But anyway, then I, I met Sister Viv- Mother St. Vivian and we met her the next, oh, we 
we sang, and the Sandys are real singers. They love to sing. And we sang, we went to song practice the night before the feast, and uh, I remember seeing uh, some of the nuns was teaching. And one of the nuns who um, I later lived with, she was a mu the musician, and she said, now sing, Dorothy, you sing, join the... And it was just just so fabulous. I, I went to the practice, and the next day we sang. And it was then that I, I said, definitely, I will. So that was in January, and I entered in, in August. So when you're, I mean, you're, you're a high school girl, not so studious, mm -hmm. into boys, what was the pull? I mean, what was, you know, what, what even sparked the idea in your head that, that a life, a religious life might be, might be right for you? Well, I just thought I should, uh, I could give back, you know, I'd be able to, I thought I'd be able to even, and me, a teacher, how could I teach when I never even pass a lot of courses but it just worked out it just worked out perfectly it really did I, I oh no all right what you're saying what what I think I thought of of it a long time I, it was back in my mind and I my mother came up that particular summer and it was in July and I said mom I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna become a sister and the first thing from her was oh your father would be thrilled and he would have been, and I think he was. But, uh, all right, so that was fine. I didn't have any trouble. A lot of the girls who went to have trouble with their parents, I think my mother was glad to get, no, 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 no. Well, this is serious. I entered the year the Dodgers left Brooklyn, the same year. So I remember saying to my mother, Ma, are you more upset about me leaving Brooklyn or the Dodgers? She said, Dorothy, I have to think about that. <laughs> I know she did. I don't know she was kidding, but the Dodgers were our life. Oh my God! And I just went to see the, the movie Jackie Robinson Forty Two. What did you think of that movie? I love it. I loved it. The Branch Rickey, the guy who played him, was. Did you see it? I haven't seen it yet. Oh. We're waiting to take the kids. Oh God, it was so good, so good. But you know, because when you you live in Brooklyn, the whole thing is the Dodgers. I mean, we had it on the radio. And then years later, we had it on TV, and to watch him uh, try to steal a base the way he did, he just hopped back and forth. He was fabulous. What was it like growing up during that time in, in American history when um, you had, you know, your first uh, you know, African-American professional baseball player? What, what was life like back then? And, and did you have a sense that there was something off with the world at that point in time? Or No, we had... My father was sort of a, well, he belonged to the Catholic Interracial Society, and he had a friend of his, um, his, we used to call him Uncle, Uncle, I used to call him Uncle Archie Glover, and he was with him in the, in the uh, Catholic Interracial Society. And we'd go to their house, and his wife was Mabel, but she was my Aunt Mabel. I'd call her Aunt Mabel and Uncle Archie. Um, there were... Not many blacks in my, on my street. There was mostly whites, um, a lot of Irish uh, Jews. We had a lot of Jewish people around, a Jew here and Jew here. So there were a lot of Jewish people in my in my neighborhood. Uh, as far as when I remember when uh, Jackie came in, in in 47, I was, well, nine years old, but that was fabulous. And we, we followed that. And as far as interracial that we were one I had one incident I went down to see my mother's fa father and stepmother in Florida one time and uh, we were in Miami Shores and uh, my I guess when oh we will we t we flew down but we were taking the train back so we went to Miami station to get the the tickets for the for the train and there was a line and there was a black guy at the, at the, at the, you know he was it was his turn, and this person giving out the tickets said to the guy, "Leave, wait, and let that white lady go." And my mother said, "No, no, no, he was there. You take care of him." But he said, "But he's colored," and she said, "And I'm white, and it doesn't make any difference. Take care of him." But that's how I grew up with that attitude. They were good, good people. So we, oh, another thing when I was there, I remember. I said to my mother, I've got to go to the bathroom. I was always having to go to the bathroom. And 
Um, you were a problem child, weren't you? Just I was, yeah. These biological needs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the the bathroom was in Miami Shore, Miami Station was one huge open doored bathroom with with the sign colored, and it was men and women. And over here was the women's place, and it was all pink, tiled. And I don't know what the men's was, but. Uh, and I remember just getting to the woman's, and so I went in, and then I walked down, and I said, my God, they don't even have a decent bathroom. And I saw the the, the drinking fountain for colored, and that, oh, that just drove me crazy. It really did. So I grew up with an attitude of, uh, this this is wrong, this never should be, you know, it just, because there were kids in my class who were black, and there were kids, some kids on the on the street who were black, and we... We were friends. That was the normal thing. And when, when you became a sister, what role did social justice play or social justice work play in your in your own ministry? I think when I remember back in sixty four was when Selma the Selma incident took place. I was very, very I think because of my father being active in in the interracial, I was very uh, aware of what was going on, and I, I just just thought it was so terrible the way they were treated, and, and I just, well, I tried. I don't know how far I got, but I tried to instill in the youngsters that these things were wrong, and it's just against God that we would treat a person the way we, we have been treating them. And I just, it was, all, my, all my life in, in the community, I've always been active in organizations of peace and justice. I'm a, I belong to a Pax Christi group. And um, that, we, we do different things. I went to a call to action meeting and they had it in the church a couple weeks ago. I went to that. And a Bishop Gumbleton, who is a very active bishop uh, towards, you know, the, the uh, to the, to the left, uh, he was. He spoke. He was wonderful. He was really great. But um, I would. I always tried to be active in in uh, social justice business. After I left you, after I left Stanford, I went to Staten Island. They were starting to build, or they built, um, the home port with a nuclear ship. And at that time, I had second grade girls. And I was so upset to listen to this stupidity of this stupid submarine so close to where we we were. And I remember saying, "This is this is wrong. It just it's it just shouldn't be." So I became really active in that. We had a uh, Good Friday Peace Walk where we went to different stations on on. Um, on 42nd Street. We'd stopped at different sections and we would uh, pray. They, they, oh, we had a flatbed truck and those people, we took turns getting up and, and speaking about the particular uh, station of the cross and we did that and got our, the one from Staten Island was was Jesus Dies on the Cross and we talked about you know, people dying from nuclear business. And um, we did the 15 stations. And at one point, uh, in this Good Friday walk, the last station is what they call uh, when people do civil disobedience. And uh, for me to do civil disobedience in a congregation, I had to ask my provincial, and she said, oh, Dorothy, dear, you've got the blessing of the congregation, dear, you're doing what you should be doing. That's wonderful. All right. So I got her okay. My superior, I had to get it from my superior, and she said, I don't care. My principal was not too happy about it. She said, I don't want any of the parents, I don't want any of the youngsters to know that you were, you were being arrested. Did you get arrested? Yeah. Uh, so I said, <laughs> But I'm, I'm not being arrested for drunken driving. I'm doing it for peace and justice or so on. So she was not a happy camper. She came around years later. 
anyway. Troublemaker. I know. So, um, anyway, I, I, after the, the 15 stations, or the 14th station, I, I lined up, and uh, we, we went to, oh, they were, we're going too fast, or not? we went to, um, they said, uh, go into this building, it was some office building, and everybody was on the floor, kneeling, and they were singing, down by the riverside, down by the riverside, and I said, okay, and I said to myself, I got the okays, and the thing for the principal, I would have needed a day to go to court, but it ended up I needed it in July. I, it wouldn't matter. But anyway, so we go in, and it was a rainy, rainy day, and I was with one of the people in, from Pox Christie in Staten Island, and, and everybody, as I said, was near, but I have bad knees. I can't kneel. So I just stood, and I was singing along, and they said, the cops came in and said, all right, anybody who's still here is going to be arrested. Okay, so I went to the cop. I said, I, I'm not kneeling, but I want to do this. I want to, all right, no problem. We'll get you. So we got into a paddy bag, and, and um, meanwhile, everybody else in the group is singing, you know, singing for and clapping us for us as we get up in the paddy wagon. And uh, so then we went to the, the 10th precinct. And uh, no, not Midtown precinct. And we went in, and a young cop, then we go and they call us over. All right. He said, your name? All right, everything. And then I gave him my birthday. He said, oh, that's my birthday. I never arrest anybody who's got my birthday. I said, well, that's all right. Don't worry about it. And so then when he went through all the questions and answers, <clears throat> I finished. And he and he said, well, that's all. Here's the paper. I said, I just want you to know I'm a sister. What? He said, my mother will kill me for arresting a nun. I said, it's okay. 20 years ago, I couldn't have done that. I wouldn't have done it because I wouldn't have known anything. So I did it. And uh, we had, and the poor guy was so upset. But that, that was that. And I did. And I had my picture taken. And, uh, you have a mugshot. Yeah, I have a mugshot. And the thing is, I did it again. And it was when Dan Berrigan, you know the piece? Oh, no, I'm not familiar. Jesuit who was just a fabulous peace guy. He was this close to me on the paddy wagon. I was saying, God, I'm so lucky I'm sitting next to Dan Berrigan. Anyway, so it it worked out. I left, it was pouring rain, so I went back to my parish in Brooklyn for the three o'clock services. <laughs> and I did that. And then I went back to Staten Island, pouring rain, and uh, I did it. And, you know, nobody got was harmed by it at all. I But I felt like I did this, this is... I'm making a statement that I couldn't have done years ago. So I probably know a couple of students you taught that were probably arrested, but probably for some other things. Nope. <laughs> probably, yeah. Oh, probably. So um, you've been a sister now for over 50 years, right? You, you said you had your Golden Jubilee when? Nine, 2009. Okay, so a few years back. What, you know, having that experience you know, over half a century now in religious life, what are the biggest misconceptions you feel people have about religious sisters? I, well, they, of some, I'm just, when, and just thinking of some of the people I've met over the couple of years that I've been at, at, they just think that you're not normal, you, you don't have, you're not, you can't, how can you be happy? You live with women, and I said, well, it's tricky, but <laughs> it works, it works. If you just give yourself as much as you can. Uh, I don't know. What do people feel? A lot of people are surprised that, that we're sort of human. I, that's true. That's true. Why do you think? I mean, why do you think they're surprised well, because, that you're because, sort of human? I noticed you didn't say you're all human. Sort of human. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think because they have this idea in their head of what religious are. Um, you know, all closed up and... You know, don't let anybody in, don't let anybody out, don't you move out or whatever. Um, I, it, to give you an example, when we came out of the habit. What year did you come out of the habit? And describe what the habit is for people who might not we know. We had a, a long wool dress underneath, that. that's on top, and a long wool petticoat. And uh, we had these big sleeves, and we had 
a quaif, a piece of white. Actually, what our founders wanted us to do was wear what the women did in the day when she started our congregation. She wanted, The women just wore kerchiefs around their shoulders and around their head. But unfortunately, uh, what happened to those uh, habits, those quaifs, somebody starched them and made them really un, quite wild looking. So we were in, this was linen. We had a linen cap and then the linen quaif and then a wool cap over that. And our hair showed, some people thought because we're, our hair showed we must have been Protestant nuns, but we weren't. And we had on top a long veil, excuse me, a very fine wool veil. So we, all right, so we, the reason why we changed them was our nuns up in Canada were being accosted in uh, Montreal. There was a lot of anti-clericalism up there. And What was the genesis of anti-clericalism up there? Well, um, it wasn't safe to be in the habit. People were accosted. They were hurt on the street. Uh, nuns were thrown down staircases. Why, why is that? I mean, who would want to do that? They were just against the church. That was a lot of people were against the church in those days, and I think still there are. Uh, so it wasn't safe in Montreal. So the, the Superior General gave the whole congregation uh, permission to come out of the habit. And we came out, we wore, we, they were strict about what we wore. We had three different color suits, uh, a gray suit, blue, or black suit, very tailored suit, and um, no veil. So you kicked the habit. Literally, yes. And uh, one of the um, the things we, and this was, and then we went right into the wool suits. We had a gray suit. And we did it during, when we were up in our vacation place up in Rhode Island. And uh, we came home with that outfit. My mother met me at Grand C Station, Grand Central Station. She said, oh my God. She said, I was so hot. It was August and I had a wool suit on. But it was fine. Then I went to Vermont. But um, yeah, I went to Vermont after that. What I wanted to tell you, about I started to say about the habits. Anyway, I forget. Yeah, we're talking about uh, losing the habits when you lost the habits. Oh, and everybody was so afraid. Oh, you'll never have control over the kids. Well, people in the habit didn't have control over the kids. It didn't make any difference. It didn't make any difference. No, there was no no problem. I had no problem with kids. So they wanted you. So, so the foundress, uh, say Marguerite Bourgeois. Wanted you to dress in the in the ways that women dressed at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I know, and I've, I've been reading a bit about uh, this visitation that's happened from from Rome. Yeah. So I don't know if you feel comfortable talking about oh, that, I'm but all right. but what what's what's that all about? And it, it, it does it seem? I mean, from some of an outsider, it seems a little bit uh, as an attack. And uh, I read different sides and. It seems that one side says, oh, no, it's not an attack. We just want to make sure X, Y, and Z. And then other people who are speaking out against it are, you know, have a different point of view. So what's 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 going on there? It's quite sad. It's quite sad to think so many people were that. That was really, people were really uh, upset over that, very upset. Uh, then people would turn and, and, and they turn the opposite and really act crazy so that they say well see you shouldn't have done that because that's what the whole story is uh, it was an it was an attack on religious women and so many of these well all of us I mean we we weren't uh, we were all educated we all had our degrees we we I think there was all, always a little tension with priests and brothers Sometimes there's a little tension. Uh, you know, well, they're nuns. What, what do they know? They do. We, we really do know a lot. And it was an, it was an attack that wasn't a pleasant thing to accept. Um, but what's, what's the point? I mean, why? That, what's the motivation? I think part of it was when, and, and 50 years ago when we had the, the council in, in we were asked... We the were Second Vatican Council. Council, yeah. We were told, we were asked to redo our our, mean, our meaningful life, what, whatever we do. 
And so we went back to our foundress and we did a, we picked a lot of things that she would have done and we did more of those things. We weren't as strict about the habit. A lot of women left in the late 60s. A lot of my friends left because they couldn't they couldn't handle the new new way of doing things. It was a slap in the face to a lot of religious that that uh, business that took place last year, and it's still it's still around. It's still people are still talking about it. Well, I, I think I I remember reading or or uh, I guess reading that even though we have a new pope, that that is still he's in, is he endorsing what happened or is he continuing it? I'm or? not sure. I'm not sure. I, I there was something more that came up and I, I missed it. I, yeah. I don't know what it was, but I'm I'm thrilled. That of him, I um, mean, the fact that a uh, man who was a Jesuit, number one, and that uh, he took the name Francis, and that I, I got such a kick out of the fact that he doesn't wear the red shoes that the Pope always wore. <laughs> he has his old Tom McCann's probably that 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 he wears. Looks like a pump, but feels like a sneaker. Yeah. Um, how important? So, in a lot of people who are going to listen to this, you know, are are, are you know, not necessarily they don't pay, let's say, close attention to the comings and goings of, of the Catholic Church. Um, what does it mean for us to have a Jesuit Pope now? The Jesuits are the creme de la creme as far as um, the clergy in our in our life. Um, they're all very well educated. Uh, there's a, a spirituality that they have from their founder, St. Ignatius, <clears throat> that if you make a retreat with a Jesuit, you've made a retreat. Really, really. They, there's, I, the ones that the retreats I have had uh, were always special. If it was a Jesuit, um, I had one Jesuit of one retreat, nineteen seventy. Wait, was that? No, nineteen eighty-two, and I made it at Richfield, Connecticut, and it was a thirty-day retreat. And that was a day. That was a uh, that was a retreat where it was silence for thirty days. But the only time you spoke was when you. We had something like five hours of prayer a day, and after you would have uh, you would meet with the priest and tell what what you got out of that that reading or whatever reading it was that he told you to read, and you'd say, you know, this is what I. I got when I when I was re when I was doing this, and they would counsel us, or they'd counsel. Uh, I remember one time I had this priest, Father Charlie Murphy. He was a Jesuit from Milwaukee, and one time I went in to give my report, and he said, "Dorothy, you you that's a that's a red herring. You no, you run the wrong way. Do it over again tonight." I said, "I just did a fight. and it was the the retreat. The prayer was the. Uh, uh, the prayer of, of what do you call it? the Emmaus the 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 guys from Emmaus met Jesus and um, he made me go back again he looked for something more and I said if I go over that trip to Emmaus again I'm going to have to pay a toll but he made me go back and and little by little I got what he wanted me to see or yeah and okay you've done that so I made that 30 day retreat uh, we had there'd be 10 days. And then we'd have a break day. And uh, they took us uh, swimming to some place near Richfields. And then we did three different break days. And uh, it was relaxed day. We had, you know, we could just have a quiet day. And it was a wonderful experience. And I made another one 15 years later. In 1987, I went to Milwaukee to have it with that same priest. Uh, it's, it's a prayerful thing. It's a... I'm just partial for the Jesuits, although for the last 10, 12 years, I've been making the retreat with the Redemptorist down in Long Branch, New Jersey, and that's been delightful, just delightful. They're great. I, were, I had nine years up in Harlem, and that was... I loved wherever I taught. I always loved um, the schools I went to, but when I finished... I guess I'm finished here, and um, there were uh, I had my degree in religious education, so there was an opening in Harlem, and I went, 
And the nuns in the house would say, oh, my God, you're going to Harlem. Are you sure you're going to be all right? I said, I'm going to be fine. I'm a New Yorker. You know, what are you worrying about? I had nine wonderful, beautiful years in Harlem. I was the director of religious ed, and we had Sunday schools on sun Sunday school on Sunday. We'd take the kids, we'd have mass, and then we'd take them uh, to the classrooms and, and teach them. And it was a joy. It was a I'm still in touch with those people. Um, Students or the people both, you worked with? Both. Both. Some of the, the children, I'm still in, in touch with some of them, yeah. That was that was fabulous. So, so Catholic school in Harlem, um, the, the experience was fabulous, you said. Oh, yeah, yeah. What, um, I remember I, I saw a movie documentary called Waiting for Superman, and it, they profiled a number of different sort of um, schools. And uh, one of them was a Catholic school in Harlem, but I can't remember the name of it. This was St. Charles Borromeo. Okay. I don't know how many Catholic schools there are up there, but... Uh, they're still then they're still open. Uh, one of the girls who was uh, teaching in the elementary school uh, while I had the CCD, uh, she's become principal there, and it's it's a great place. It was, it was really a wonderful place. I loved it. And... As a matter of fact, when, uh, and it was a schlep. It was a schlep I'd have to take. I'd take the train here at the corner, then pick up a bus at 81st Street in Central Park West, and then go into Harlem like that. But uh, I don't do subway anymore, not with my knees. So I, wherever I go, I take the bus. And that was, that was wonderful. As a matter of fact, I was there when 9-11 happened. And I had gone out, we had had, um, we had a vote. It was a primary day. So I went to vote. I came back and I got my books and I went out the side and I saw everybody was looking up downtown. There was a fire down there. And I said, what happened? They said a plane flew into the uh, World Trade Center. I said, oh my Lord. All right. So then I go across the street to get myself a, a tuna fish sandwich for lunch. I go in and I say, I'll take, could I have a tuna fish? Okay. So then I, I said, oh, by the way, a plane flew into the World Trade Center. So all the guys in the store go out. I said, wait, could I just have my sandwich, please? <laughs> so, all right. I got my sandwich, and I went down the stairs, took the the uh, the subway up to 81st Street, got on, and I got off and then got on the, the bus. And I said to the bus driver and the woman who was there, I said, did you hear about the plane going into the World Trade Center? And they said, lady, two planes went in. Oh, my God. I said, I don't believe it. So I went to school. I went to do my job, and uh, it was bedlam. All the mothers came to get their kids out of the school, and uh, it was wild, just wild. So the pastor said to me, uh, look, if you want to go home, uh, if you, if well, there are no trains, but if the buses don't run, uh, or I could take you, I'll drive you home. I said, okay, well, I, I remember hearing that the first one who died that they knew was my father, uh, Judge. Michael Judge. Michael Judge. Did you know him? Yeah, I did. I mean, he didn't know me, but I, I used to go to Mass at St. Francis, and he'd say the Mass. He was a great guy. He really was very nice. I'm a, Okay, so I heard that, and Giuliani announced it on the radio, and I said, oh, my God. So that was the first one I knew who died. So it ended up, it was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I said, I might as well go home. So one of the teachers, the library man, uh, library librarian said let's go so we went to the they wouldn't take any money onto the bus just everybody and it was crowded so I just waited he got off at 49th street because he lived there and I stayed on the bus and I was going to just get off at 31st street and walk home but by the time he got to 42nd street he said I can't go any further you've got to get out all right so I got out and I was stepping over people at at Port Authority they were going home Trying to go trying home. Trying to go home. And it was, it was awful. So I got here, and I got home here, and we could see from here, we could see the smoke, and we got the smell of all the, the burnt bodies who were there. Right here, 25th Street, we got the same smell. And the reaction here from these nuns was totally different from one another. There were some nuns who were scared. They're very upset, very nervous. What's going to happen now? The, the whole, last week when we had the Boston incident, 
we were, we were on the uh, the TV for how many hours? What it reminded me. Anyway, uh, some of them were angry, someone was scared, and I was sad. I just cried. I just cried every time I think of something else. I just cried. And that was it. Was all different reactions from the the different nuns in the house, and that still is it. It just goes through your heart and soul. Well, yeah, you have to wonder what drives somebody or oh, some group of people to, to do something like that. Yeah. I mean, is there an explanation? No. No. That I know of. I don't know of it. But it just reminded me, when Kennedy died, we were pinned to the TV watching that whole thing, watching the, the one who shot him. To, he was shot, and the guy who shot him was shot, and we saw all this in, in the TV. It was so awful, and I remember I didn't cry when Kennedy died. Everybody was very sad about Kennedy dying, but then when we started to read in the New York Times, read all about this, you know, when Jackie uh, had the ring and all this stuff, then then I'd cry over something like that. But uh, and this this is true confessions. Um, I had told you before, my family was, was Democrat, and my father was a real, real Democrat. We used to go to all the places and with cards and pictures and posters, vote for this guy. And the first time I was supposed to vote ever was for Kennedy, that his election. And there was a nun in my house who said, oh, you're a Catholic nun, you've got to vote for Kennedy. Well, all I need to hear is you tell me I've got to do this. I'm not going to do that. I voted for Nixon. You did not. I did. I did. But nobody knew it. It just came out years later. I voted for Nixon. You didn't. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. And I, I well, you know why I did it? Because when I was a youngster, my father liked Eisenhower. And Nixon was his vice principal. Vice, vice, vice principal. He's thinking you're in the school. Right, 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 right. Uh, so I did, and it, oh God, will I ever? Um, you just made my mother happy, by the way, that she voted for <laughs> Nixon. Nixon. But then when he wrote, ran again, I didn't vote for him the next time. <laughs> oh, believe me. Oh no, that was terrible. So you know, one misconception I think some people might have is that all all Catholics or all religious are are right wingers. Mm-hmm. Is that your experience? A lot of them are. No, no, no. Thank God they're not. Why do you say that? Well, that would be tough to have to face that, sit at a table with a right wing. (laughs) No. No, there are a lot of very conservative sisters. I know that. But uh, I'm not close to those sisters. (laughs) I guess it was hard to do all the the social justice work. It um, was. It was. And uh, and, and lean lean more to the right, I would suppose. Mm. I would suppose. Whipping, yeah. But we've we've survived. <laughs> Do you think we as a, a, a church kind of let the small number of issues kind of dictate our our points of view? I think so, and I think yes. I think now that we've have Francis as our Pope, I think things are going to going to really turn around, and I think it's going to be good. I hope it's going to be good. I hope it's going to be. So far, I mean, I'm just glad I live now <laughs> that I didn't. I'm, I'm uh, starting all over again, Noah. It's been, it's been. Look at, there's the guy who started that. Who was that? Uh, Pope John the Twenty Third. John the Twenty Third. He started Vatican Two. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, who, who was his, his successor? Was Pope Paul? Pope Paul, and then he wasn't around too long, right? He died. No, I, was he? He was. He was when I went to Fairfield for the first time. He was Pope. Then. I I don't remember. I don't remember. I remember when. Uh, wait. I remember when he became Pope. Mm. I grew up with Pope Pius the Twelfth. And, uh, and then he died when I was in the novitiate, and then he came. Came. I was just thinking of something in the novitiate that happened. I remember when, um, so I think my father must have been a little to the left too because when, uh, I remember doing something, we had the Beatitudes when I was a kid and we were supposed to have 
um, talk about one particular beatitude and then tell who in this day uh, is a person of that beatitude. And I remember he got, the, the beatitude was blessed are the, those who suffer persecution for justice sake. Or they, I don't know the rest of it is. But uh, he had a picture, my father got a picture of Pope Pius XII. So he had been during the war in uh, World War II and he was accused of, of not helping the, the Jews at that time, but indeed he did. He did. It's kind of hidden, right? He was an underground type of help? Yes, yes, yeah. So thank, thanks be to God for that. So any regrets? No. Not a one. Not a one. I can't. I no. Not at all. <laughs> I'm having a good time. I'm fine. <laughs> and you saw your friends today. Yeah. Yeah. That and it's funny how I'm so comfortable over there with the guests and the 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 volunteers. Now I wanted you to meet those two, Fred and George. Why did you why was it important for you to to have me meet them? I just wanted them to see you. I wanted to give them a sense of me, you know, having worked with you years ago. And I they got a kick out of it. They were cute. <laughs> they were cute. And then and then poor Danny. Danny's Cahill. Homeless, homeless. He said to me early in the the year he said sister he said the winter is awful just so hard and he spends it on the e-train at night he's got a gorgeous face too he's so yeah. <coughs> clean looking and you would think there'd be <coughs> um, smells but no I've never gotten anything from any of those guys they Yeah, grand and it seems like everyone was very appreciative very happy. Excuse me while I choke to death here. No, please. We don't want that. No. I haven't had anyone die on me yet when All I've right. done okay. these. So. Okay. Um, with, um, with the homeless, it's funny. I think we, you know, living where I live in, in Fairfield County, um, we're certainly insulated, um, insulated with it. I mean, we, you know, there's a few homeless people who, mm. who are around Stanford and you kind of know them. Um, don't really think too much about where they go at night. No. Um, but I saw a lot of people today coming for, coming for food and looking for, for help. And I noticed that there's, there's no judgment placed. Um, everybody, it seems like everybody who wants a meal can get a meal. Yeah. Yeah. And they can come back a second time at 12 o'clock. They can come back and go a second time. I think we had more than... I think we had more than 1,200 people today because it was a big crowd. Where, you know, why why can't we solve this problem oh. of homelessness? And then we're we're in one small section of Manhattan. Mm -hmm. um, but why? What's what is? Is there a solution? What can we do? I couldn't give you an answer. I can't give you an answer. And they they come from all over. Like there's two two Chinese ladies. As an old lady, younger one comes with her. They come from Brooklyn. Uh, Danny, oh, he's on the he's on the E train. But some of them come from the Bronx. Some of them come from Queens. Now I don't know. How, oh, they there there's social workers at the end of the the end of the uh, the room there. That with the doors were closed, they went in for social workers who help them go into. Uh, any anything that they oh they they have two they have on a Thursday they've got a uh, a doctor who oh I told you that that massages mm -hmm. them they have um, people come uh, and they send little papers out on the table you can get a haircut a shave f at this place and they're young kids learning how to cut hair that's where they would go uh, doctors come dentists come. Uh, nurses come and they give them shots, like flu shots and stuff like that. So they get a lot of, a lot of uh, attention when they come. And uh, I've maybe in the couple years that I've done this, 
I've never met anybody who's really nasty. I've seen a couple fights, and I just move out of the way when I see them. But that one guy I told you, he, he sort of can break up a fight. Sometimes women get into fights. I don't like the way you did this or something like that. Oh, my gosh. We get, get Kessel, get Kessel over there. He'll stop it. <clears throat> they often have music. Did I tell you that? No. Last Friday, they had a huge... They must have had 100 people on the stage up there, over by the altar, playing every musical instrument you can think of. And then they had a whole crowd of singers. So they did the... the music first and it was music that you recognize you you know you so you could hum along with it and then the youngsters uh they were a young group from oh where they, minnesota and they sang and then go back then after they sang then the orchestra started again and there was one of the volunteers who was there today it was so loud it really was loud she had. She was holding her ears, and I said, "Oh my God! Don't let them see that she's holding her ears." I wanted to stop her, but she was too far away from me. Well, you uh, you started. You were asked to speak this morning, and I couldn't hear very well what you said. Oh. What were you? Uh, what did you choose to speak about? What did you choose to say? It was from. Um, can you wait one minute? Absolutely. I'll go up and get it. It was from Sojourner's Magazine. Okay. Could you uh, could you read that for me? I was hungry, and you blamed it on the communists. I was hungry, and you circled the moon. I was hungry, and you told me to wait. I was hungry, and you set up a commission. I was hungry, and you said, so, so were my ancestors. I was hungry, and you said, we don't hire after over 35. I was hungry, and you said, God helps those. I was hungry, and you told me I should be. I was hungry, and you told me machines do that work now. I was hungry, and you had to pay for napalm bills. Bills to pay, sorry. I was hungry, and you had napalm bills to pay. I was hungry, and you said, the poor are always with us. Lord, when do we see you hungry? That's from Matthew, chapter 25. Lord, when do we see you hungry? That last statement. I imagine the author Matthew wasn't talking about napalm. Mm, no. But what's this from? What is Sojourners from? It's a magazine. Magazine. They're powerful words. Mm. Why did you choose to share that this morning? I don't know. I, just, I don't know. I just, I, I had it. And I, I often said, I'll bring that over. But then yesterday, sh they asked me to do it today. So I copied it on a little piece of yellow paper. And one of the women wanted it, so I gave it to her. Um, I had one more thing to ask you. And now I'm trying to remember what it was. Mm. But I can't remember. <laughs> oh, it's going to bother me. I think that's it. Anything to do with Saint Cecilius? Saint Cecilius. Uh, who are your uh, Who are your favorite students? Ah, the twins, the Carlin twins. <laughs> I'll never forget when your mother first came. When you first came to Stanford, I entered this answered the side door, and she was at the side door, and she said she had twins. Uh, first of all, she's she was in Beth Davies' class at Notre Dame. And so there was a whole connection to Notre Dame with me. And then she, we just had one, uh, one fourth grade and one, one of everything. And she said, well, I want the twins to come. And she, she, I guess she said she wanted you separated. I said, well, we just had one. But then we had a mob of registrations so that we had two fourth grades. And were there two fifth? I think there were. There were two fifth. Okay. There were two fifth and two sixth because okay. they, at the okay. time it went to sixth. Yeah. So if if we were your favorite, who who were the students say you will never forget for other reasons? Um, there. There. I'm thinking of. Oh, was this awful? 
there was a tall blonde kid. What was his name? I know his name. See if you remember his name. He's gonna get a copy of this. <laughs> God. He had a darling little sister. Oh God. If I okay, I'll start slowly. Cole. Cole. Coleman. Coleman. What's the rest of it? Irish name. Oh God. Sullivan. Oh God, Coleman Sullivan. Sweet Jesus. <laughs> if you could cross. say any, if you could say anything to Coleman Sullivan right now, what would you say? I hope you're very kind to your little sister. Well, you probably he's married with twelve kids already. <laughs> he was a good kid, though. We are just a little over an hour, so I have to, uh, I have to run. Okay. So thank you for taking the time to my pleasure I'm to delighted. do this. My pleasure. And if you need the bathroom, it's right. Oh there. no, I'm good. I'm good. Um, but uh, appreciate it. So that's it. I thank you for sticking uh, through uh, my interview with Sister Dorothy Collins. I hope uh, I hope you learned something, and I hope you uh, found something to smile at during that interview. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, if you want to join the conversation, I encourage you to do so at www.uncorkingastory.com. Thank you very much. Until we meet again.